Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. I tell you what, I am excited about this series. I am super fired up and pumped up. And really, this week's message is just going to kind of piggyback off of last week's message. So if you missed last week, I highly encourage you go back and listen to it because I think it's a, a pivotal piece of information and things uh, as we continue in our series, When the Church Acts Like the Church. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Lord, we just thank you for this day, God. And God, we need to thank you for open doors into uh, people's homes, into people's cars, and into the prisons, wherever people may be joining in today, whether they're watching online, watching on Facebook, watching on YouTube, watching on TV, listening on the radio. God, we thank you that the Spirit of God is not limited to just being here in Mount Hope or in our Summersville campus or where in our high-risk campus, but God... Your spirit is able to be in every location. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that as I get ready to speak your word, <clears throat> God, you know where every person is and you know what's going on in their hearts. And I just pray that you take the words that I speak today, God, and that you write it on people's hearts and you allow it to bring forth the change <clears throat> that you desire it to in their lives. God, we love you. Father, we honor you. It's in your precious son's name that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so as I said, we're going to continue in our series, and last week we really talked about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is, and we looked at Jesus' words on the Holy Spirit to, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus taught them about uh, servanthood, Jesus taught them about heaven, <clears throat> and then Jesus began to teach them about the Holy Spirit and how ministry would look after he would go to the Father. And, and so we looked at that last week and we really pulled out seven things that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do. One of them was that the Holy Spirit would be with us, that he would be the form of God that is on earth with us today. We talked about how the Holy Spirit teaches us. We talked about how he's there to come alongside us and to help us. Remember we talked about that word parakletos, which means to come and walk alongside, to offer for support, and we uh, use that illustration of, of a kid on the monkey bars, going across the monkey bars, and how a parent would come and kind of uh, uh, be underneath them and, and be there to support them if they get in trouble. We talked about how the Holy Spirit convicts us. Notice I said convicts and not condemns. I believe many people have felt condemned, and when people feel condemned, that's when man has tried to do the role of the Holy Spirit. Because when we do it, we do it wrong, and we bring condemnation on people, but the Holy Spirit brings conviction. What's the difference? Conviction brings hope. Yes, this is where you are, but there is hope out, and I'm showing you that it's wrong not to rub your face in it and to put you down, but to tell you this is an area in your life that I want to clean up and I want to begin to address. 
And then we talked about how he convicts of righteousness and, and he sets the standard for what's righteous and what's not. And, and how he convicts of judgment to come and lets us know of the things that are going to come. Even a lot of the scriptures that you read in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, even Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, what is he talking about? He's talking about the judgments and things that are going to come upon the earth in the last days. And he warned us about those things so that we would not go in panic mode, but so that we would understand that he is still in control, that all of the craziness that we see in the world today, it did not catch him by surprise, but God still has a plan. And his plan to bring healing, his plan to bring peace and things to this world is his church. But when the church doesn't act like the church is supposed to act, I mean, we represent him wrong, and the world doesn't want that. And that's why we've got to look at this series and begin to see and begin to study exactly how the church is supposed to look. And we look back. We, we went all the way even to the Old Testament a couple weeks ago with the original church with, and, uh, with uh, Moses leading the people out. And now, after three weeks, we are finally going to get into the book of Acts and, and begin to look at the, the original New Testament church. But I think there's something that we have to understand. And let, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever prayed, God, I want to see a move of God? God, we want to see revival. We want to see, we want to see you move. We want to see revival. And many of us pray that, but when we pray that, whether we know it or not, we have a preconceived idea of how that's going to come. For a lot of people, when you say the word revival, they instantly think, oh, we're going to have church every night, and we're going to have a person come in, and he's going to preach, and, and, and like they're going to pray for people, and there's going to be people laying in the floor and things. And, and if it's a really good revival, that three days that we plan to go every night will go four days, maybe even a week or a little bit longer. Come on, how many of you have been raised in church, and when you think of revival, it means there's an evangelist that's coming in, and we're going to shout and get happy now. I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. We, we have a preconceived idea of the way, and some of you are like, no, that's not the way that, that it was in my church when it was a person that came in and we set aside those nights, but there wasn't all that craziness of, of people falling out and running around and all that stuff like that. What, what's the difference? We all have preconceived ideas of how we think God is going to move, and a lot of those preconceived ideas are based on the way that we were raised in church. It was based on the way that, that we see things, and even in Scripture, we see where people, when Jesus came to earth, that people had preconceived ideas in how the Messiah would come. You know, the disciples, they, they keep thinking that, that the Messiah is coming to set up an earthly kingdom and that he would overthrow Rome and, and all of that. So they get excited when they begin to see that Jesus is the Messiah. They begin to get excited thinking, oh, yeah, it, it is on now. We're going to overthrow Rome and, and finally have our freedom and be out from underneath this oppression and everything. Even when, you remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, we talked about in, in, uh, when Jesus was baptized, that the Spirit of God came and he descended from heaven and he remained upon Jesus. Even that fact was a sign to John the Baptist that he was going to be the Messiah. 
And, and Jesus and John the Baptist even, he had preconceived ideas because he had grown up being taught that when the Messiah comes, that he is going to establish Israel again as a kingdom. Any good, devout Jew was looking for the Messiah to come and reestablish his throne in Jerusalem, which he eventually will, but not in the timing that they thought. That's at the second coming, not the first coming of Christ. And so even in John chapter 1, we see where John the Baptist, uh, in verse 29, it says that the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and behold, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. So he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, this is he who, uh, in, in, on behalf of me, said, after I am coming, there is a man who will be superior to me because he existed even before me. And I did not recognize him, but so he would be revealed to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified saying, but I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained upon him. And I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said, so I didn't recognize that this was a sign right away, but I did remember what God told me. The one who sent me here to baptize told me that the person that you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the person who is no longer just going to baptize with water, but this is the person who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. So this was a sign to John. This is the Messiah. So John instantly is thinking, okay, he's going to come and establish Israel. But he also is saying, all right, it's revival time now. Because I baptized in water and I see the change in people's lives and everything. But this guy, I'm not even worthy to, to uh, strap his sandal. And he is going to come and he is going to even baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, I don't think John even understood what baptizing in the Holy Spirit even meant at this moment. And some of you, just the fact that I'm saying baptism in the Holy Spirit, you're like, uh-oh. It's going to be crazy charismaniacs getting ready to go. I thought this church was safe, and now it's about to get crazy. And Why? Because you've had preconceived ideas of the way that the Spirit of God works or doesn't work. You've seen some people misrepresent the way that the Spirit of God works. You've seen some people get overzealous in things. And so, again, we have these preconceived ideas when it comes to this. And then, after a period of time, John the Baptist is, is, finds himself in prison. And John is following the ministry of Jesus, but he still hasn't overthrown the government. He still hasn't seen like this just major outpouring of God. I mean, he's hearing of some miracles. He's hearing of some things that are going on and everything. And John from a prison cell sends his disciples because he's discouraged and disappointed about the, the, the lack of movement of God that he anticipated. And so in Luke chapter 7, verse 19, he says, he summoned two of his disciples and he sent John to them saying, are you the one who is coming or do we need to look for another? Now, wait a minute. In John chapter 1, he just told everybody 
that God told me that the one who the Spirit came and remained, that he is the one who is going to baptize with fire. And now it's Luke chapter 7. Some things have happened. John is in prison. Things aren't going the way that he anticipated that it would happen. And so he is discouraged. And he sends somebody to Jesus and they say, hey, are you it or did I miss something here? I thought that things would look a little bit different than this. And so it said the men came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist has sent us here to ask you, are you the one who is coming or are we supposed to look for another? And at that very time, Jesus began to heal many of the people who had diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. He gave sight to those who were blind and he answered him saying, go and report to John the things that you've just seen and the things that you've heard. People who are blind are receiving sight. People who have limped are walking. People who have leprosy are cleansed. People who are deaf here. People who were dead are being raised. And people who are poor have given, have, have the gospel being preached to them. And so Jesus is like, listen, do you not see all the ways that God is moving. No, he hasn't established a kingdom of Israel here on earth, but he's healing the sick. There are people who are, their lives are being changed with the gospel. That's one thing that many people have even accused us of is, you know, Brandon, you're quenching the spirit of God. You just need to let the spirit of God move and, and, and everything. But I, I, the only way that somebody can come to the Lord and be saved is by the spirit of God moving. And every time that we open up for baptism, we have 10, 15, 20 people who come get baptized because the Spirit of God is drawing on their heart in salvation. What is it? That's a move of God. It's a move of the Spirit. The fact that the Word of God is being preached. I think even Jesus saying, listen, the fact that the truth is being proclaimed is proof that the, word, that the Lord is moving on this earth today. And every one of us have the opportunity to play a part in that because we all have a testimony. We all have something that God's done in our life. We have something that God's shown us that we can begin to share. And so Jesus says, goes and tells them, like, just look at the fruit. Look at what you see. Look at the, the people who are here. Look at the life change that people are encountering in this. People who are battling with sexual addiction or walking in freedom. Marriages that were broken are being healed. People who are drug addicts are sitting in church clean and serving and being a part of building the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is bringing healing. And the Spirit of God is bringing a spiritual freedom. You see, again, all the Jews, the disciples and everything were thinking political when Jesus was looking at the biggest issue isn't a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. And I think it's interesting that people are watching these same miracles, but people see them in different ways. The Pharisees see the miracles that Jesus performed, and, and they go tell them, you know, you're, of the, you're a son of Beelzebub. You're of the devil. You're, you're demon-possessed. Because how, the only way that a demon can be cast out is by another demon. And Jesus just looks at him and says, a house divided against itself is not going to stand. Beelzebub isn't going to cast out Beelzebub. And these were religious people who saw what God was doing and said, that's of the devil. 
And before you get to like, I can't believe they were saying, it's the same thing that we see in the church world today. I remember when we were in church at, at Healing Place Church in uh, Louisiana, we were serving there for a while. There was a, a, a radio station, a Christian radio station, and they had, uh, uh, they had a little talk radio segment of this radio station, and uh, they were talking about Healing Place Church. And they were like, yeah, I heard that they've got prostitutes that are in their church, and, and they do uh, outreaches to strip clubs, and, and then those strippers and everything are coming into the church, and there's probably more people in that church who aren't saved than are saved and they were using it as something that well that's demonic those people were just watering down things and everything but on the other side at healing place we were celebrating that because the lost people were coming and hearing the word of God and we knew that it only takes a few times being in the presence of God and hearing the word of God and the enemy God begins to shave all those things away to where that person can walk in freedom now we celebrated the fact that lost people were coming to church the day that we only have saved people who think they got their lives together is the day we need to shut the doors of the church because we're doing it all wrong. Because Jesus said it's not the, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor. It's the sick people who need a doctor. The disciples see all these miracles being performed on a daily basis and everything. For three and a half years, they follow him. And they see the, 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 the blind healed. And they see deaf ears open. And they see crippled people walk. And they see all these things. And yet, they are still sitting around. Oh, when is Jesus? Is he going to establish the kingdom now? Uh, any day now, we're going to see this move of God that we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. Any day now, we're going to begin... And they missed out on the fact they were in the middle of the move of God. I think sometimes we have to understand, and we're going to get into this more next week than this week. I think sometimes we miss out on the move of God because it looks like work and because it looks like uh, kind of mundane, everyday type situations and stuff. And we don't realize that the Spirit of God is moving, that people's lives and hearts are being changed, that people are drawing closer and closer to Jesus every day by simple acts of kindness and love. And Jesus wasn't coming to establish this earthly kingdom. And when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to his father, as it says that Jesus appeared to 500 people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul refers to the fact that Jesus appeared to 500 people. And most people believe this was at the point of the ascension, which is where we're getting ready to pick up this in Acts chapter 1. Come on, it only took me two and, and a half sermons to get to the book of Acts on a... It's a lot of groundwork to, to lay there. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is getting ready to be ascended. There's a crowd of people that are there, 500 people. And he refers to this baptism that John was baptizing with. He says, for John baptized with water, but now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they had come together, they began to ask him, saying, Lord, is this the time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> they still don't get it. Not the earthly kingdom. 
I'm trying to establish the kingdom of God. You know, hey, we're getting ready to baptize with fire. Oh, it's time now. The kingdom of, uh, of Israel is getting ready to be established. It's the same thing. John the Baptist was discouraged because he didn't see it happen. The disciples realized Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven. It's like, well, this is going to be the last chance because he's, he's getting ready to go to heaven. Like, now has got to be the time. And Jesus looked down at him and said, it's not for you to know the periods of time and the appointed times because the Father has set that on his own authority. In other words, stop, stop worrying about the timetable, okay? Stop worrying about how and when and what you think should happen. Stop trying to figure all those things out. Just obey the things that I've already told you. What were some of the things he already told them? You see at the end of Matthew and at the end of Mark, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey the commands that I'm giving you. He had already talked to them at the Last Supper about washing each other's feet. He talked to them about unity. He talked to them about the ministry that God was getting ready to empower them with at the Last Supper. And here, just 40 days later, he's talking to them again and saying, the Holy Spirit's getting ready to come. And they're still thinking the kingdom of Israel is going to be built. Jesus, are you going to set us free from this Roman oppression now? And they forgot the things that he'd already taught them. You remember how, what Jesus taught them to pray? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you know, the, 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 the Father, the last, the, our Father, the prayer there, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, <clears throat> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I want you to daily pray that your will will leave heaven and come to earth. Not that you're going to establish an earthly kingdom, not that you're going to build a, ministry, a particular ministry or a particular church or anything, but I want your will to be done. What was the will of the Father? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to restore that which was broken. I came to find those who were hurting and bring healing into their life. Part of the, You see what God's plan and desire for his church and what he's getting ready to empower the disciples to do is to go pre preach the gospel, bring healing, in the people's life both physically and spiritually because guess what one day when we get to heaven there's not going to be any more physical pain and we are all going to be spiritually pure because of heaven in other words bring that to earth my hands and my feet being built here bring, build the kingdom of God right here and then Jesus gets back on the subject because he said hey I'm getting ready to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and then he says, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can run and shout and hoop and holler and do backflips. Is that, is that what it says? That's the way we've treated this passage a lot. I want to empower you so you can be my witnesses. I want to empower you so that you can tell other people about me. Not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. That word witness there in the Greek is martus. 
And the word martus actually is spelled almost exactly like martyr. I want to empower you to lay down your life for me. To stop building your individual kingdom and begin to build my individual, in my, my kingdom. And he's saying this to 500 people. But when you get to Acts chapter 2, there's only 120 that are left in the upper room. What happened to the other 380? Maybe they become discouraged like John. Hey, God didn't move in the amount of time that I thought he would move, so I got to go home. Maybe they're like, well, I can go to that prayer meeting for a little while, but if it gets too long, then I'm, I'm going to have to go home. I got, I got to go to work. I got to get out of here. I got to take care of my family, you know. Hey, I got to hurry up and get out of there. I, I, this service can't go too long. I, I, got, I got a game I got to go watch and be a part of. What, whatever the reason, the majority of the people didn't wait for the empowerment. Maybe some of them thought, they, had, they already had enough Jesus in them. They had followed Jesus. They had seen him perform the miracles and everything. And so they were good enough and they didn't need this empowerment. I think the enemy a lot of times wants to convince the church that we don't need the Holy Spirit. Because it's he who, he's him who gives us the power that we need to be able to do what we're called to do. It says in Acts chapter 2 that when they were all together that there was a mighty rushing wind that blew upon the people. And it says that they began to speak in tongues. And I know for people who grew up in more of a charismatic background, they're like, yes, tongues. This is it now. It's on. We, we all going to, you know, shoot about a Hyundai, but about a Chevy, you know, that type of thing. Hey, let's, let's get on it, you know. I tie my bow tie, you tie your bow tie, you know, that tie, let's, let's roll, tongues, let's do this. Because the enemy has tried to even use religion to convince people that the only gift of, uh, that reveals the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. Even to the point of some people say, well, if you don't pray in tongues, you're not even saved. But that isn't even in scripture. Okay, what it says is that God gave them they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, and they were like, well, when they were filled with the Spirit, that means that they began to speak in tongues. But if you even look at that and you get into this, it says the Holy Spirit began to give them uh, uh, the ability to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak out. So he empowered them to be witnesses. And it says, and, and under, I want you to see what this, this tongue is that was here. It said there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, both devout men from uh, every nation that was under heaven. Because everybody was in for, uh, for uh, Pentecost. And it says when the sound occurred, the crowds came. And they were bewildered, be, bewildered because each one of them heard people speaking in their own language. So they weren't just speaking in a heavenly tongue that couldn't be interpreted. When they get out among the crowd of people and they're speaking in tongues, it tells us exactly what tongue that they were in. It says, these people were amazed, saying, aren't these people Galileans? In other words, aren't they uneducated people who aren't supposed to know anything? Like, aren't they a bunch of hillbillies over there? Seriously, like Galilee... Even, even in a commentary, I read this commentary one time that said Galilee could be compared to the hills of West Virginia and Appalachia. 
Because West Virginia's looked at, we're uneducated, all of those things. But 11 of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose were from Galilee, Nazareth area. The only one that wasn't is the one that betrayed him. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll take a loyal hillbilly any day of the week. goes on and said there were, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and, and Phygia and uh, Pamphylia and Egypt and, and parts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes. There were Cretans and, and Arabs and they were speaking in their own language of the mighty deeds of God. In other words, when they were getting out and preaching, it wasn't a language that wasn't interpreted. They were getting out literally preaching to the mighty works of God in Persian, in Median, in Cyrene. Whatever languages that they heard, they were hearing the gospel. And they never took those classes, online classes. They didn't have the translation apps on their phone and all of that to begin to learn these things. The Spirit of God empowered them to do it. It says, then Peter steps out and he begins to talk to the crowd. In verse 14, Peter addresses the entire crowd and he raised his voice and declared, men of Judea, all of these uh, who live in, in Jerusalem know this and pay attention to my words. These men are not drunk, as you assume. Because here, as they step out and they're speaking another language, Somebody has to explain what's going on. And so they're just like, well, they, they must be drunk. I don't know about you. I, I never really got drunk growing up. I, I kind of stayed, stayed away from that. Do we, do we have any extra drunks in here that were willing to admit it in church? Pull, pull your halo down for a second. Now, when you got drunk, did you ever just start speaking German? <laughs> did you ever... Just start speaking fluent Russian to ancient Hebrew. I mean, what are they doing? It's, it's silly. I don't know what's happening. These uneducated people are now speaking about God in a language that I know they haven't been educated in, but they're preaching it. I guess they must be drunk. Listen, what this shows is that when the world truly sees a move of God, they're going to have to call it something because they don't know what it is. And when we begin to show the love of God, and that's the thing, like, even among the churches, some of these churches that we give money to and ministries that we give money to and stuff, they don't even know how to respond to it because it's just like, this isn't normal. This isn't right. When you begin to love people who hate you and you begin to bless people who curse you, then the people are going to look at you and be like, what in the world is going on? There is something wrong are you drunk are you high have you been smoking something recreationally what is going on with you you're different and Peter says it's none of that it's only the third hour of the day it's 9 a.m. this is the 9 o'clock service this isn't even the 11 o'clock service this is the early birds here they ain't spiking their coffee or anything like that But this is what the prophet Joel said. That in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind. 
Say that with me. Say, all mankind. And turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Turn to the neighbor that you chose to ignore and say, that even means you. Come on, in your home. Come on, turn to the person sitting on the recliner next to you. Say, God bless you. That even means you, you heathen. And then he breaks it down. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit out on your sons and your daughters. And they're going to prophesy. Both young men will see visions and old men will have dreams. Every male and female servant, many translations uh, translate this as slave. This is a word there for bond slave <clears throat> and slave there. And I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So in other words, when, when I get ready to move in the last days, it's not going to be on only the people who are righteous and holy and grew up in church and, and you know, cut their teeth on the church pews and all of those things like that. It's not going to be on the ones who actually know the Lord's Prayer and, and actually, you know, can quote John 3.16 and, and, you know, those, those verses. It's not only for those who know the Romans Road and have been to Bible college and all of that. We have set up so many standards and requirements to be able to share the gospel that God never did. And he says, no, 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 no. in the last day, I'm, I'm pouring out on everybody, the rich and the poor. The young and the old, both male and female. And not only that, but Jesus told them not only are you gonna, was he going to pour out the Spirit on them, but that they would be able to perform miracles. And we'll even look at that where in the book of Acts you see people who are waiting on tables that are preaching sermon and healing the sick and casting out demons in their everyday life just ministering to people. At the Last Supper, one of the things when Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, truly, truly. Again, in Greek, if you put something twice, that's like putting exclamation points. Okay, Jesus isn't stuttering. He wasn't going, true, true, tr truly. Like, he was like, hey, listen to me. I need you to understand something, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Everybody listen. Some of y'all fell asleep and just got woke up. <laughs> Need you to listen. Truly, truly, God's speaking to you. The works that you've seen me do, you're going to do them also. And in fact, greater things than these that I've done will you do because I go to the Father. And then he says, but first you have to go through Bible college training. You have to go through deliverance training. You have to be able to quote the Romans road. You have to have been saved for at least five years. Uh, you have to have me or, or your local priest pray over you. Um, you have to have permission. Like, is that what? No. He just says, you got to ask me. Whatever you ask in my name. What, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Just, you want to get into the prisons? Just ask me. I'll have somebody pay for a radio station to get in there if they won't let you in. You want to you wanna feed the poor? Just ask me. And I'll have people. When, when coronavirus hit and they were worried about children not being able to get their, their lunch meals and everything like that who were in public schools and everything, we just started feeding people. 
And we, we were getting persecuted by people like, why are you feeding people? You're going to spread coronavirus, and, and then you're, you're not listening to the governor and everything. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. We talked to the governor's office about this. And in fact, when the local authorities came and tried to shut us down in two different counties, we went to Secretary Crouch, who was over all of those things, and was like, listen, you guys are worried about these kids who are not being fed. And we're willing to feed them. And we ain't got money to feed them all, but we're going to try. And he said, listen, I'm going to make some phone calls. It's going to be taken care of. And if you have any issues, here's my personal cell phone number. You just let me know. You guys continue to feed these kids. And we went from feeding 100 to 150 to 200 to where we were in five, six different cities feeding 700 people a day when we didn't have money for it. We just started. Why? Because we just asked God. God, just, just help us be able to meet the needs of people. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that God may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Can I encourage you in our prayer time to stop asking for all the things that you need and what you want and begin to ask God to help you fulfill the needs of others and be who God needs you to be to the people that are around you, to the community that is around us. Jesus is just like, look, you ask me. Just come and ask me. Okay. And again, but I didn't go to Bible college. I, 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 I had some failures. Guess what? Every one of Jesus' disciples failed him. They all ran from him when they were taking him in at the garden. And you know what Jesus did? They, all went, they even went back to their old lifestyle. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. And in John chapter 20, 21, you see where G Peter, James, and John, where are they? They're back on a fishing boat. Where did Jesus show up? On the seashore. Hey! Y'all want some breakfast? Come on, bring in that catch. And then he goes over to Peter and says, hey, Peter, you love me? Lord, you know everything. Feed my sheep. P Peter, Peter, hey, do you love me? Lord, I, I said I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter. Can I ask you a question? Peter, do you love me? And I think at this point, Peter realized what was happening. He had betrayed Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus was like, hey, if you still love me, I haven't given up on you. Can you just get back on business? Will you just go take care of my sheep? And that's why Peter, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he's not waiting on anybody else because he had already been restored by Christ. He had already been given a mission. And he, didn't, he wasn't seeing if anybody else was going to get up and share that. He was going to stand up and say, hey, listen, <laughs> they're not drunk. This is exactly what God told us was going to happen. When he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh.
And it says that the people were pierced to the heart. And he didn't even have to give an altar call, guys. Like, he didn't have to call for the keys. Keys, you can come on up. We'll just... I still have some slides, but I'll, I'll wrap up. He didn't have to call for the keys and turn the lights down real low and set the environment. Okay, bow your head and close your eyes. If any of you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, he preached the word and it says, it pierced them to their heart. And they came up and they ran up and they said, what do we have to do to be saved? When we started the church, we literally had people mad at us and said we weren't even a church because we didn't give altar calls. And I was like, guys, you do realize that altar calls were introduced in the early 1900s during the tent movement revival as a way to be able to count the people who were saved and be able to equip them with a Bible so that they could send them back out. Jesus never did an altar call. Peter here, first sermon being preached in the New Testament church. He doesn't give an altar call. People are running to him. What do I have to do to be saved? Listen, if we ever would just get out of our own way, speak the word of God, love people where they are, we won't have to sit there and lead them and beg them and plead them and have the perfect environment for them to be saved. They will run to the goodness of God and desire it in their life and there are many times that I don't give an altar call in this service but in the cards we get cards where five or six people that week I gave my heart to Jesus this week I dedicated my life to Jesus this week rededicate myself why because it's not about me it's about the Spirit of God drawing on your heart in the church world for too long we have told people what to say and the spirit wasn't drawn on their heart and now you've got all these people who think they're right with God because they prayed a prayer and there's been no life change in them. Can I relieve a little bit of pressure off of you? It's not about your gifts. It's not about your talents or ability. The disciples had no ability to speak Persian and Median and Cretan and all them other languages that they spoke. But the Spirit of God empowered them to do it. And they were preaching in other languages that they didn't even know that they could speak. And God was glorified by what they did through it. It's not about our ability. It's only about our availability. Will you make yourself available to God? This is not the first time you've seen this point. Because I want to emphasize this over and over and over and over and over again. And then on the other side of it, you may think you're God's gift in music and the greatest communicator and the greatest whatever. But when you're walking in all that pride, then you're operating in only what gift you have. I would rather be humble and, and not have the, the skill set and everything, but have it empowered by the Holy Spirit than to try to do it on my own. And Paul had a revelation of this. You think I'm Paul, you think I'm long-winded sometimes? Paul put people to sleep. They fell out a window and died because that brother went so long. He had to raise the dead because he putting people to sleep and breaking their neck out a window. And 
Paul even said, I'm not the greatest communicator. I'm not. But you know what I realized? Second Corinthians 2. He said, but you told me that your grace would be sufficient for me. Your strength would be made perfect in my weakness. And so I'm going to gladly boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can we please stop limiting God to who he is allowed to use and what he is able to do and just say, God, I'm a wreck, but I'm your wreck. I'm a mess, but, but I'm your mess. And I believe that with the power of your spirit, you can turn this mess of a life around and use it to proclaim your message for the glory of God. This is what the world's looking for. Fruit of true life change. Every one of those people, when the Spirit of God came upon them, even though Peter was the first one to preach to the crowd and address the crowd as a whole, they all began to be witnesses. They all began to offer in whatever gift that the Spirit brought them question for today is are you going to be part of the 120 that position themselves to be empowered by the spirit of God and allow the spirit of God to flow through them so that they could touch the world or are you going to be part of the 380 that walked away because they were too busy they had too much going on God didn't move in the amount of time that he thought that they should God or do we only want to move of God if it looks the way that we think it should? Do we really want to move of God or do we only want to move of God if it's convenient for our schedule? When we are to the point where we say, God, whatever it takes, all I have is yours. My time, my talent, my treasure, it's all yours. I'll offer it to you. Let your grace be sufficient. Let your strength be made perfect in my weakness. When we get to that point, we don't have to schedule out revival and call in for an evangelist to come in. We'll be walking in the middle of revival. We'll see the lost saved, the sick healed. We'll probably even see the dead raised. Why? Because if Jesus did it, he said, greater things than what I did, you're going to see also. Some of you, when I said the dead raised, you're like, sure about that Pastor Brandon can I be honest when I was getting ready to say it I hesitated for a second you know what that is that's even me still like okay I'm putting limitation on God let's take the limitations off of God let's look at the track record of what God has done and let's believe that he can do it again in us We'll make ourselves available. Amen. Come on, let's just begin to pray for God to move in our life. Father God, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we just make ourselves available to you. God, I, I pray that right now, 
that every person that is thinking of the reasons why this doesn't apply to them, God, I pray that your spirit just begins to bring truth to them, God. Every person that feels like they've been disqualified because of their past, God, I pray that they look at the fact that Saul was persecuting and murdering Christians, and yet he encountered you and became the greatest missionary that ever lived on the earth. God, let us not focus on our abilities or lack of abilities, but let us trust in you that if we make ourselves available, if we'll wait upon you, then God, you'll empower us to do everything you've called us to do. God, I bind the spirit of fear off of people's hearts and their lives right right now, God, because you didn't give us a spirit of fear. You gave us power, which is the same word in, in Acts 2 when it says the power will come upon you. Dunamis power. You gave us love, and you gave us a sound If you're in here and you realize that you've set limitations on what God can do in your life, I want you just there in your heart and say, God, I take those limitations off. I want you to be like Isaiah. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. But God, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Lord, that's our prayer today. Here we are waiting for you. God, empower us and send us to build your kingdom. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.